I wanna be a billionaire. I ain't getting no sleep till I see a million every week. I wanna be a billionaire. I ain't getting no sleep till I see a billion every week. I wanna be a billionaire. Billionaire, I wanna be a billionaire. Billionaire, I wanna be a Oh man. Ladies and gentlemen, how you doing? Welcome to another episode of Sleep is for Billionaires, the podcast. I am your host, Johnny Vegas. Now today, I got the man on my show, ladies and gentlemen. Now this guy is responsible for a lot of your favorite songs. He's the radio campaign guy behind a lot of your favorite records. Ladies and gentlemen, Izzy Sanchez. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Johnny. It's a pleasure. Um, Hi, everybody. <laughs> thank you for coming, man. Uh, it's a pleasure to finally meet you. I know we had a conversation, you know, when I wanted to work records and stuff, and you gave me a lot of, you know, uh, Rough for positive wisdom, you know, those feedback. Tough love. Yeah, tough love, tough love. And I love it, man, because it didn't do anything but make me stronger, you know, and a lot of people, you know, around were yes men at the time, so I'm glad to hear the the brutal truth from you, which made me a better artist, and I truly, truly appreciate you. I believe one of the reasons I'm still around is because of that. Mm. Uh, Nobody pays me not to lie to them, so. Right, right, right. If you want me to lie, you tell me in advance, hey, lie to me, I'm going to give you some money, I'll be real good at it. Uh-huh. If you want me to earn my money and really get behind a record and stick my neck out, I have to believe in it. I have to believe it's going to do well. And I'm going to try to get you your bank for your buck as much as I can, even if it means being harsh and a critic about what you put out and when you put it out. Mm. So for me, it's a little And again, because I have such big name artists that I work for, it gives me the, what's the word, the desire, the drive to help the brand new up and coming artists that hopefully one day they'll become a Nicki Minaj. Or a little, I started with Lil Wayne in 1997, I believe, mm. when he was even, even he wasn't even in the Hot Boys yet, I don't think. Right. Uh, and to see him go to where he ended up being, is just, it's, it's, a it's, it's a good feeling, regardless of how much I get paid to do stuff, to see that satisfaction of somebody making it and then giving you even the smallest amount of credit. I'm not going to take full credit for anybody I work for, it's a team effort, uh, I believe in strength in numbers. And I, in some cases, I'm a vital person in the, in the project, and other times I'm just an, another person mm-hmm. as part of the process. But uh, still, the pride that I get when I see somebody succeed uh, from where they started with nothing and get to a certain place is really fulfilling. Really fulfilling for me. That's awesome, man. Where are you originally from? Uh, I was born in Puerto Rico. Okay. I came to New York. Well, I'm going to have to give you my age here if I do that. Nah, you don't have to date it if I, you're I came one. to New York when I was three. Okay. And I'm heading to, I am already in my 60s, I'm not ashamed to it. It's wisdom right there. I've been in this business now for 43 years, mm. and I've owned my own company for about 27, 28, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's been a nice long run. I, I outlived the disco era. <laughs> I, I didn't think anybody could, but I ended up doing, doing just that. That's awesome, man. And also, how, what got you started in this business? I'm sure you had a love for music and stuff. I mean, were you an uh, artist at one point? No, 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 no. Never an artist. Uh, I, I remember distinctly at the age of eight years old, mm-hmm. I bought a 45 yeah. by a group called The Beatles and a song called Yesterday. Okay. It was like 29 cents back then. You never see that price. <laughs> never. Um, and I, I ended up wanting to learn words, mm-hmm. and then I ended up wanting to play it for other people, so they did appreciate what I was appreciating, which in a sense made me a DJ at eight years old. Oh, without, wow. without really knowing it. So by the age of 12, I was DJing in parks. Mm-hmm. Uh, with put together sound equipment. My brother had a pair of old bows and some Macintosh equipment. 
two, two turntables that weren't direct drive. Right. We used to put pennies or nickels on the needle to slow them down and speed them up. Yeah. Or put our fingers on the side to slow down a record. Or be able to cue a record to the beginning and get a half a revolution because mm-hmm. you didn't have that instant startup. So yeah. Was not going from phono one to phono two. Oh my God. <laughs> Primitive and ancient. Make the A track look normal. Wow. Uh, so I got my niche playing music for DJ, uh, playing music for people which was kind of DJing. By the age of 12, I was DJing, like I said, at house parties. Mm-hmm. By the time I was 14, uh, I was ready to just devour music. I lived it, I breathed it. So I went to college. I ended up playing at the radio station for uh, for a year, uh, playing records like Cool in the Game yeah. and BT Express, mm-hmm. uh, Ohio Plays Fly, <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, and then I became an intern at CBS. It was their first... CBS Radio? CBS corporation mm. under the division of CBS Records, which was Columbia Records. Is it what it is Sony now? Yeah. It was CBS back then. So what they did, they had a minority internship program mm-hmm. where they took a, a, a minority kid from New York, black, black or Hispanic, mm-hmm. but went out of state to school, mm. but lived in New York, and, and they corresponded their internship with their major. So if you were an accounting major, they put you in the accounting department. Okay. If you were an art major, put you in the art department. Right. I was in communications. They didn't know where to put me. So the luck has it, I was stuck in the product management department. Mm. And product management, by definition, takes you from the beginning of a record yeah. all the way to the end and everything in between. So I had a crash course in learning the music industry in my intern two months. Mm. Then I put on an Oscar winning performance saying <laughs> my scholarship had been canceled. Yeah. And I didn't know where to go. Can you please keep me? Yeah. And then it was a choice between Bob Dylan, Santana, Earth with a Fire, Sociology, uh, literature and history, mm-hmm. and I went that way, and uh, that was 43 years ago, 42 years ago, wow. I started uh, working with, against Santana, Earth Wind Fire, Dylan, I edited Dylan's uh, Hurricane record, I edited Chicago's Greatest Hits, mm-hmm. uh, so I was doing production work in the studio also at the same time as I was being a product manager. Right. So um, uh-huh, I shifted over to Atlantic Records in 1976 uh-huh. as the head of the then brand new first major label to open up a dance disco. I don't want to use the word disco, but I will uh-huh. disco department. Yeah, uh, and I was the head of promotion there, and then they gave me an A&R title a few years later when I started signing my own records like CJ and Company and bringing the Tramps, mm-hmm. uh, working with Nala Bernard and Sheik and Sister Sledge, and, and just. Uh, I was a kid in the candy store. Hey. I was spending a whole lot of their money. <laughs> well, the disco era uh, was a big financial mm-hmm. windfall for the music industry back then. Records were selling You could sell hundred dollar copies of a record in New York mm-hmm. alone. Right now, you can't sell hundred dollar copies. Why do you think that is? Uh, bigger haystack, smaller needle. If you can understand that. Uh, once the internet was available, anybody who had a Casio or a program machine could go into their basement and call themselves a mus- musician or producer. Right. And it kind of watered down and filtered down the quality of music. Mm. Um, so again, the theory of finding a needle in a haystack it became a bigger haystack and the hits became smaller needles. So it was a lot more to filter through. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I, it's, I, still, I, it's, it's still the same thing today. Mm. I mean, there's so many different outlets and platforms, digital platforms do-it-yourself distribution that people can use now to enhance their music careers or the thought of a music career. Gotcha. 
Well, that sounds good, man. So can you break down your uh, your structure? You know, and how, like, for example, if I was an artist, you know, and I came to you with a budget, and I said, listen, I want to do this, that, and third with this. Well, record. first of all, you have to come with me with a good record before you come. Hey, that's, that's rule number one. Rule number, number, number one. Let's set that the order proper here. Right. Uh, I listen to a record. Mm -hmm. uh, I kind of figure out where it's best going to work. Mm -hmm. Put a plan together behind that. Make sure that it works there so I can spread it out to other places. There's always that chance that it may get stuck in a certain region and not blow up out of there or not react at all and kind of die in the region. Mm. Uh, some are national campaigns, some are regional campaigns, again, based on affordability, the potential of the record. Uh, if you got a feature with a name artist, it may help me a little bit more. Mm. Uh, so there's a, a lot of thought that goes into how to start a record and eventually how you finish a record. Right, right. So you got mix show plans? Clubs, mix shows, strip clubs. Strip clubs have become a gateway to instant reaction. Yeah. Um, that now I wonder why. <laughs> well, again, in Atlanta, the Atlanta strip show, uh, strip club scene is an ecosystem upon itself where uh, on a Monday night at Magic City, the, the DJs are playing records, the artists are in there, they're making it rain, and it becomes an event. And now it's become a staple there every mm -hmm. Monday night um, to hear new music and see new artists come in. So we, as promotion people, want to get an edge, and we saw that was an edge, and we jumped into it to see what it was about, how it worked, and how we could take advantage of it and leverage it out for our purposes. And now these guys have grown to coalitions in different markets that, as a unit, they're a strong force to help you. Mm -hmm. When an artist comes into the market, or when a record's hot in the market, yeah. and then therefore you don't even DJ crews for the fly, heavy hitters, uh, they're all crews. And, uh, the pirate DJs out of, out of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. um, so there are a lot of them out there. You just have to find them and kind of make them work for you. What was the worst experience you ever been through? And by worst, I mean challenging. You know what I'm saying? Like you got a budget from an artist, you had a plan in place, but again, it's 50 50 as far as the reaction and the people that may gravitate to this record. And how did you overcome that? Well, the reaction is something I cannot control. I tell, exactly. I tell almost all my clients I can get a record played, I can't make it react. Mm. And it's up to the audience that is being played for to react. There are things you can do to canvas the market, bring the artist in, do a show for the radio station, go to club nights with the mixers. A lot of things you can do to enhance your visibility in that market to support that kind of an airplay. But eventually the fans and the fan base are the ones that are going to dictate if that record's going to work or not, they're going to research, they're going to react, are they going to stream it, are they going to stream it over and over again, are they going to get into what the artist is, who he is, buy tickets for his show, all that stuff. I believe Travis Scott started from nowhere, and look where he is now. Mm -hmm. So he established that fan base, it grew with him, and now he's on a 35-city U.S. stadium tour, a state uh, arena tour. Mm -hmm. so, and whoever opens for him is going to benefit his audience. So if Trippy Red's on a show, or who else was on a show? Trippy Red and Blueface was on a No, it wasn't Blueface, not Blueface. Uh, Trippy Red is on his show, and I'm trying to remember who the other guy was. Those guys are going to benefit from his audience. Because mm -hmm. um, that audience is there. Somebody told me the other day, oh, I played this for a friend of mine. I go, is your friend a program director at any radio station? Because if he's not, I don't care. Yeah. It sounded kind of hard to prove, but they kind of got, got my message. <laughs> Damn, that's crazy. Well, there you go, artists. Get your music together. Well, one mm -hmm. thing I would tell an artist is yes. make sure that that is quality music. Music comes first. Um, I used to have a saying, I, I try not to repeat and offend anybody. I don't care if you have three titties and a mustache. If your record is good, it's good. And if it sucks, it sucks. Um, so make sure that record is the best potential that you could possibly put out to represent yourself. Because it's going to affect 
your next record and most likely your career. So come with that strong ass record first and make sure that that's locked in and you believe in it. And, and, and you also make conscious decisions as to how much money you're going to spend if you know you have a good record. How much budget money you're going to put behind it. Right, that makes sense. What well, I mean, it sounds like you're a workaholic. How do you balance out real life? Like you know, I know you're married. What's real life? Well, you know, personal life. Uh, my family is the only personal life that I have. Basically, uh, I'm on like 24 hour call at times. Uh, my doctors don't like that. Oh, the stress factor uh, for me sometimes gets a little high. Yeah. Um, I have my moments of. Uh, I want to walk away from everything because of the pressure, but it's the pressure that drives me and pushes me. And, mm-hmm. You know, when you work for guys like uh, like Slim and Baby at Cash Money, and you get to know them the way I know them, and they're real good people, and they want to take care of you, and they want to take care of their artists, it, it keeps you going. It kind right. of, the drive is still there. The, the day the drive leaves me, the day I'm gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if it's not fun anymore for me, what the hell am I going to be doing here? That's a fact. Hey man, well I'm glad you're balancing everything out. Make sure you keep your health together. Me, <laughs> me, me, Izzy Sanchez, man. Yeah. So you're an urban legend in the music oh, business. Oh no, man. I actually wear pop rhythm. I've done some Latin artists, and as you know, I work a lot of. Rhythm. No, no, not urban like urban only. I mean, urban legend like Chewbacca. Oh no, <laughs> like a legend. Well, like an urban legend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. legend, no, underground no, legend. No. <laughs> I'd be more like the boogeyman in the closet, probably. <laughs> um, no, but again, the music industry is a great place where you can work. I mean, where else can you work and listen to music and be around friends and go to club openings and see performances from John Legend mm-hmm. and, you know, sit next to Pink when she first starts out and see where she is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Working with Kelly Rowland has been a, a dream for me. She's a pleasure to work for such an appreciative individual. Uh, not all of them are appreciative. I'll tell you that. And not all of them are really nice either, so... But I take the good and the bad with everything that I that I do, music and uh, life in general. You only have one life, good or bad, and you gotta live it. That's right, man. Now, where can the people get in contact with Mr. Izzy Sanchez, and when will be the right time to contact Izzy Sanchez? Well, I would give out my email to anybody and let them send me music before we have any conversation, because if the record's not there, we don't need to waste time with a conversation. Right. Uh, if we do have a conversation about it, it's to tell you what you need to do to make it better mm-hmm. uh, and to go and hone your skills and then come back to me when you're ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've sent a couple of people away when they were way too young or way not ready yet mm-hmm. and they've come back better prepared. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's, again, advice that I would give just about to anybody. Mm-hmm. Be prepared. Have your best shit ready. Uh, put your best foot forward. And somebody critiques it. Remember, you're not going to make everybody happy. Somebody in Seattle may love a record, somebody in Miami may hate a record. Mm-hmm. You save that record. You just don't know until it's out there. Right. What's the saying? One man's garbage is another man's treasure? Exactly. Exactly. So, you never know. Uh, you're right. You never know. An artist, man, like you, said, like you said, get your music together, mixing, mastering, good quality, good videos. Then you can contact him with a budget and, you know, see. No, no, no. You can Google him. You can Google him and find me somewhere. Right, Izzy Sanchez. All right, you need a website, man. Izzy I don't have a website. I don't want a website. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had a website since 2004, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 2004 was the last time I had a website. Oh, man, that's when you can tell somebody's getting a lot of business. It's like, okay, listen, don't call me, I'll call you. No website. Well, I get bombarded with music from all different places uh, from publishing companies to management companies, uh, uh, 
movie companies for their soundtracks, mm -hmm. artists individually, uh, publishing companies, uh, you name it, dude. Wow. I think I have to filter through all that stuff. Right. Uh, and I have staff who I count on to kind of balance out my opinion. I, I, give, I don't even tell them what I think about a record. I see what they come back with and see how close we are to each other and, and get that general consensus from my staff. But they don't want out there also killing themselves working the records. So mm -hmm. that would be fully on board also. Now, that's what's up, man. I would definitely love for your staff to hear that mommy record and see what opinion they got. You know, because, I mean, I, I, I feel, you know, I got a good opinion from you for the first record that we, I played for you today. You know, and uh, you said it was different and all that, which was the reaction. Well, well different to me, uh, varied. Different to me, good, or different to me, work. Uh, both of them are not bad things. Um, but different affords me a chance to go to places where sound isn't exactly the same or you're playing the same as that stuff. If you're a Latin artist and you hit 10 records, home records in a row on a radio station, you think your 11th one is going to make a difference anyway. Yeah. So different to me is a good thing. Um, it gives me more places to go. Mm -hmm. If they're gonna, somebody's going to shut the door in my face saying no, I could open up somewhere, another one somewhere else. Right. And that's the best that I've asked. Hey, no, and I, and I appreciate all of that. I thought you were going to give me some harsh reviews on the no, no. Gotcha. So it's another way to help break record by jumping on a really good tour. What was the biggest record you were a part of? Ooh. Bang, <laughs> bang. Uh, you're not asking me my favorite. No, it's not your favorite. You know, no favoritism here. You're most successful. Well, there's several. I'm going to start with Nelly's Country Grammar. Mm. Uh, only because that record actually, it's, it's a little bit of a story. The record actually came out. I'm going to guess in February or whatever year that was. Mm -hmm. And by the end of March, early April, the record seemed to be dying. Nobody quite got it. It mm -hmm. was different. It was like a country-ish. Yeah, you know, it was a little bounce to it. Bounce to it. It was coming out of St. Louis, so the South didn't quite get it yet. Mm -hmm. So they had a playing in St. Louis, but it wasn't going any further in St. Louis. Um, and then uh, a friend of mine, a very dear friend of mine, Orlando Davis, the program director of yeah, Wild in Tampa. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, hit him up, I hit him up with something that sounded stupid when I first heard it. I said, the, the people that live in Georgia who get tired of living in Georgia, where do they go? You know, when they come down, past the basic distance line, <laughs> Florida. So I said, I think this is not going to work for those people. And he looked at me with this strange look and kind of kind of kind of knew where I was going with it. It, it wasn't exact, it was a geographical thing. Mm -hmm. um, that we thought it could work with, with an audience that appreciated, uh, with an audience that was either white, black, or Hispanic that appreciated that music. You couldn't pigeonhole it into any specific uh, genre or ethnic group. Yeah. It's kind of had to let the kids hear it and it'll gravitate and to grow it. On. So he ended up playing it. From there, it kind of split up into Gainesville, Orlando, Jacksonville, and started migrating north into the South. Mm. And everybody, oh shit, look at this one. They yeah, had yeah. it all this time. Right, right, right. Uh, but until somebody else proved that it was working, which is, I guess, a smart thing for radio to do it, somebody else proves it, then you can play it, and you're playing it safe with your ratings and whatever mm -hmm. record you're playing. Uh, but he gave it a shot, and that thing turned into a 10 million album seller. Uh, four number four singles off of there, I think three of them went to number one. Uh, that was one of them. The other one, which is a little bit more personal to me, would be Jam Rock by Damien Marley, mm -hmm. only because it won a Grammy. And uh, he's one of the few people who ever thanked me for a Grammy. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, it was a very humbling experience for me for, to get that phone call, like, you got nominated and it won, and you were responsible for 
taking what was a routine Jamaican record that nobody got and turning it into a hip hop record. Mm. That's basically what we did. We told them it's not a Jamaican Wootsie record, it's a hip hop record. And they listened and they played it and it worked. And, and as you well know, that record was a, a beast. Yeah, I loved it. So, I loved it. Welcome to Jam Rock. So those, those, those two are my favorite. And there's a little bit of a poppy record, Everything But the Girl Miss You. Everything But the Girl Miss You. Because uh, I miss you when the flowers miss the rain. And I miss you. <laughs> oh, and I miss you. That baby, That's baby, another baby. record that had been put out. See, I know my music. It kind of died a little bit. Yeah. And our persistence, even against the label's best wishes, we my company kept pushing that record because we loved it so much. Mm. And it kept growing and growing on a few stations every week. And before you know, people say, hey, this record is working. And uh, about a year later, everybody took credit for it. Which <laughs> yeah. was okay. I was okay with that. Uh, but we, it proved us right. Mm. And it ended up being a huge uh, record. Maybe the record of the year that year. Mm. And it definitely was one of the biggest records that year mm. after that literally failed. So those, those are, again, for me, they're so gratifying because nobody believed them. I don't right. want to mention the Laffy Taffy's or yeah. the Afro Man hey. or the little bar, the Barbie Girl records that I work because those are hit or miss. In those cases, they hit, they they're hit. huge. Mm -hmm. But if, if you notice, they never had followers. Right. They, they were gimmicky records by. There was, yeah. no, there was yeah. not another Laffy Taffy. There was yeah. yeah, they milked the cow already. Mm -hmm. and the cows put out the pasture. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, and then in between there has been tons of records that took a lot of effort and a lot of uh, persistence and patience. Influence. And, and then some that they put me on and they didn't really need my help. You know, I, I don't think um, the Drake needed my help a bunch in the last five, six, seven, eight years. He hasn't had a bad record ever that I've heard. Oh. Is that is that what you mean when you say they don't really need my help? It's pertaining to how good that record is. Yeah, and I'm helping, but not. It's not like I have to put up a battle or a fight with anybody. Or sell anybody. Well, or sell anybody. Yeah, I got a new Drake record. What are you gonna put it in? It's a little easier than. Hey, do you like this Drake record? Can you help me with it? Right. I don't have to do that with Drake. Mm. And for a while with Nicki, and for a while with Wayne, they all have their their moments where it's crazy. They all in the same camp. They're on the same camp. But again, I, I worked with Puff. I worked with Timbaland. Uh, Nelly, who I mentioned before, another big name artist who who had success. Mm -hmm. um, so it kind of goes with the territory of having a big name. You just, hopefully you will have success. Gotcha. What advice can you give to these new artists? That because you know there's artists coming out every day, like you said, they got their equipment in their basement, they're putting out records on their own and get on these. Streets. Don't play records for your family members and take their word for how much they like it. No <laughs> cousins, no nephews, no nieces. Object to people, people you don't know. Play a record for them and see what they think about it and then take that opinion and run away because that's probably far more realistic than anything you're going to get from a loved one or a close friend. They're going to try to make you feel good about yourself and I understand that process when you deal with family members but to me it's the, the consumer, your average consumer, your, your unknown consumer, your unknown fan base that you're trying to attract that can dictate whether the record's going to work or not. Mm. Don't embarrass me on my show. That's about to say, you're not in front of your own bandage. I wouldn't do that. No, yeah, I, love I would have said something like, don't lose your day job. <laughs> I, I, I would, I would Keep this up, buddy. Keep this up right here. <laughs> I would never do that to oh, man, I'm a harsh critic, but I'm also very fair. I'll tell you how to make things better for yourself. Constructive criticism. Even if I'm not involved in it. Right. Well, that's what's up, man. Well, definitely, I mean, it was great speaking with you today. Thank you for having me. You know, I mean, 
You're a legend in my eyes, my brother, and I look forward to the day we finally get to work to work and share that brand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Much appreciated. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sleepers for Billionaires, the podcast. I am your host, Johnny Vegas, the legendary Izzy Sanchez. Stay tuned for more episodes to come. Thank you for watching. Mahalo.